Sorry, I got a packed show. I got to go. Sorry, I got a packed show. I got to go. <laughs> yeah, how's that feel? You don't like that much, do you? I can't see you. I don't know why. I can't see I you. I look but good. Anyways. Guess what I'm wearing? Uh, you're wearing a black tie, a white shirt, and a black suit. That's right. But you know what? I, 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 was, I was trying to remember. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. <clears throat> Howard Beale. Yes. Peter Finch. From, from Network. Network. Great movie. Now I can see you. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. And it wound up ringing true as a madman's rant. That wound up resonating with people's actual discontent at the time. See, and that's the point. The answer to the question that you were having with the good mayor there is it's about whether or not the anger is harnessing a collective feeling. Mm -hmm. When you tap into that, which I would argue President Trump did, uh, whether he meant to or not, uh, then it's very powerful. There is a difference between anger and indignation. Indignation right. is when you're upset at something that's perceived to be unfair. Uh, just anger because you don't like being questioned uh, because you think it's disrespectful uh, is a mistake in politics. It shows weakness. When somebody returns an argument with anger or hostility, it's weakness in politics. But I think Nancy Pelosi was righteous indignation, I think. She, I think that somebody yeah. asked a question to a pre-Vatican I Catholic. Yeah. Uh, who does not like the idea of having enmity towards others. Right. Now, I have known Nancy Pelosi most of my life. She is very similar to my parents in that regard. They don't talk about hateful feelings about other human beings. And in truth, I've never heard her say anything different. But do, um, you, you, know. do you agree that um, people think with the Joe Biden thing, I've heard people say all day, it's about time, it's about time. Yes, go, keep going. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, but that's what they're saying. I'm just asking you. Oh, they are that. saying it because, look, what, what, what's the concern <clears throat> with Biden? I'm getting wrapped. Not tonight. Ah. Uh, th this is what this is what <laughs> Roll reversal. This, I know. <laughs> where, where now am I you know how I feel. It's 11 o'clock at night. We've got time. Uh, the, the idea of what's the problem with Biden, they keep calling him a weak front runner, which is very rare in politics. I've never yeah, heard of anybody being a front runner as long as he's been and right. called weak. Why? Optics. Does he have the edge to go against a perceived dragon in Donald Trump when Donald Trump denigrates him and calls him stupid names and says angry things and has people echoing his anger? What will Joe Biden do now? It's not an easy thing to answer, but I'll tell you what, if you think you're going to match tone and that's what's going to take you home, that's a wrong analysis. No, no. People want normal and normal isn't hostile and yelling Steady and name hand. calling. Yeah. You know, the strongest man in the room, you ever hear the expression, uh, lions are not bothered by the complaints of the sheep? Right. Are That's you a true. lion or are you a sheep? That's the yeah. test. Are you an eagle or you're, you know. I don't know. I don't know no, where you're going with that. Eagles soar over everything. They're not concerned yeah, about you. the people who are called, the, the animals who are right. crawling on the ground. I'd rather they be an airplane soar. than an eagle. <laughs> That's oh me, though. God. All right, Don Lemon, I have to go. I've got a packed show. Thank you very much. Have now a good you night. Know. I hope tomorrow night your tie matches. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime, special edition tonight. Donald J. Trump has been fast-tracked to becoming the third impeached American president. And he says he does want it to be fast. Do you believe that? Big questions are now coming up about what will be the articles of impeachment. What are high crimes and misdemeanor? What are procedural flaws of obstruction? Do you go back to Mueller? We have a leader with us tonight of the Republican resistance on this historic night, along with a main driver of this impeachment bus. So let's test both. We have some new facts in the mix. Rudy Giuliani, did he really just say Ukraine's not going to get American help if they don't do what we want when it comes to these corruption investigations? Now, did he just say that? What do you say? Let's get after it.
Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi tells CNN tonight that the president's Ukraine actions, quote, removed all doubt that he violated his oath of office. And that's why articles of impeachment must be drafted. What will they include? Pelosi says Democrats are working collectively on determining that, and she is not ruling out drawing charges from Mueller's findings. What's the calculus on that? Well, if you go too broad and include things, you already had two Democrats that didn't want to move forward with this. If you don't get all the votes, does it weaken the position? That's the question. The speaker is also accusing Republicans of failing to meet the standard of honoring their oaths. How? By not being a part of a process that is congressional oversight and instead being the president's proxies. How do they like that on the other side? We have a man who wants to make his voice known and that this is his fight. Matt Gates, Congressman, Florida. Good to see you. Oh, thanks for having me back on primetime, Chris. Uh, let's deal with the new fact. Rudy Giuliani, um, we presumptively now, in Ukraine, meeting with people. Uh, you can talk about the company that he's keeping. I'm not really that interested in it. But he puts out a tweet that says what's on the screen. If you can't see it, I'll read it right now. Um, he says Schiff's impeachment is a farce because, one, there was no military aid withheld. Two, the uh, conversation about corruption in Ukraine was based on compelling evidence of criminal conduct by then VP Biden in 2016 that has not been resolved and until it is will be a major obstacle to the U.S. assisting Ukraine with its anti-corruption reforms. Congressman. Is Rudy Giuliani saying, if it wasn't clear enough already, if Ukraine doesn't do what we want on corruption, which is Biden, as is clear in his tweet, you're not getting help from the U.S.? I think it's fair to say that you've got to engage in anti-corruption efforts in order to get anti-corruption assistance. But I'll be honest with you, Chris, mm. I think it's a little weird that Rudy Giuliani's over in the Ukraine right now. And I'm not here to defend Rudy Giuliani. Uh, you know, there's apparently an investigation going on and I, that'll go where it goes. Uh, but the Rudy Giuliani I know is the Rudy Giuliani who like fought the mob when it wasn't a popular thing to do. He's someone who put his life on the line in 9-11. And so if there's anyone that ought to maybe get the benefit of the doubt, it would probably be Mayor Giuliani. I don't think Giuliani's the problem. It's who sent him, Congressman? Who's paying him? Why is he there? If this is just a logical extension of foreign policy, as you guys argue all this was about, then why is Mayor Giuliani involved at all? I don't know. You I can't must say know, that I take because good Because you need to, you need to argue it to, to defend the president. You must know. No, no, actually, what I can do is I can point to the testimony of NSC official, uh, Mr. Morrison, mm -hmm. who said when asked about Giuliani's involvement that he wasn't concerned, that he didn't think it was anything inappropriate or unlawful. It was, it was the only simply one. Simply unusual. And of course, our country does have, ha our country has a history of using people in a non-traditional way to engage in foreign policy. Heck, the president's even encouraged me to go meet with foreign leaders and carry a message now and then outside of the official channels. And so I think there's nothing wrong with that inherently. Now, if Mayor Giuliani did something wrong, which I haven't seen evidence of, then of course there's a process to deal with that. Well, there's a couple of investigations going on. We'll see what they yield about the, the mayor's exposure. But the great theory here is that it's one thing to ask a congressman to go and do something. We don't know if this man is the president's lawyer, if he was a proxy for the State Department, or he was just acting as a concerned citizen. But it really matters which answer is correct. Because if he wasn't acting as the president's personal lawyer, and we don't really know that that's true because I don't know how he was getting paid. 
And if it was pro bono, did he file it as such? Because we can't find any record of it. Did the president report it as such? Because we don't find well, any record but, of it. Yeah, but there, there's but, no obligate, Chris. That's a red herring. It doesn't matter whether so? he's getting paid or not. What matters is whether well, hold on a second. Giuliani was acting. It does in if the you want of, privilege. We'll go, well, it does. It does if you want privilege. No, no it doesn't. Of course, that, it does. That is not true. You, you can't, can't be my attorney if we don't. Pro before and the things that they've said to me. How? No, no, no. Yeah, no, no, you no. could. I could be your attorney, and yeah. I cannot charge you, and you could still maintain privilege with me. That's absolutely the case. But then it's still a contribution. You see what I'm saying? We need to know the answer. And it's not penny ante because it goes to privilege. Because at some point, he's going to have to figure out what he wants his exposure to be. We'll leave it for another day. Here's the question. The question is, the theory here is, you are pressuring Ukraine that if they don't give you the Bidens, you're not giving them the money. Now you have the president's whatever saying, I'm in Ukraine looking for dirt on the Bidens. And if Ukraine doesn't help, they're not going to get money. Doesn't he prove that the theory about the president is 100 percent accurate? Well, first of all, as you point out, there is some ambiguity about the role that Rudy Giuliani is playing. And I think it probably would be helpful if Rudy clarified the role that he was playing in these different circumstances. And if he's acting for other clients or other entities, that would be helpful information to have. But when it comes to the president, which is what this impeachment is about, Mm -hmm. you have a long held criticism and concern about foreign aid. You have a legitimate concern about Ukraine, the third most corrupt Mm -hmm. country in the world. And you also have specific legitimate concern about Burisma. It was, in fact, Mr. Kent who testified that there were such substantial concerns about Burisma Mm -hmm. that our own embassy had to pull out of a public-private partnership with them out of fear that we would be smeared with this type of corrupt behavior. So with all that being a legitimate question, the president should never be impeached on it. Well, but hold on. If you have your facts right, I mean, let's be very clear. There's no question that there were concerns about investigating Burisma. In fact, the idea those of facts who, are all right. Challenge well, me on them. I'm, What's I'm, wrong I'm, about I'm those about facts? to. You're cutting me off. Give me some time, brother. Give me some okay. time. What I'm saying is that uh, if the idea is that this is what Biden wanted, well, it was Democratic senators that told Ukraine you need to investigate the following people, including the person who was atop of Burisma. So there's no question that there was con- question about it. But the president asked for Biden in his perfect phone call. He asked for Biden. What concerned every one of those diplomats, except Mr. Morrison, to a certain extent, was this pension. And Mr. Volcker. This pe- no, because Mr. Volcker, too, thought it was really weird that this was becoming about an American election. And they thought it was dangerous. When Volcker, a- when Volcker was asked whether or not there was an impeachable offense that he observed, he said no. When Volcker was asked Counselor, if he observed pri- Have you ever bribery, heard of a fact no. witness being asked to draw a legal conclusion in any trial? Do you remember the lady who said, All and then the he hit time. me over the head? <laughs> really? You remember a witness ever being asked? Well, so, by the way, did you think that I, was I robbery being or did you think it was burglary? Look, look, these are people who interface with the national security apparatus regularly. Ambassador Volcker is not their is job to decide what and the crime is. is able your job. to observe this circumstance. Yeah, but they, but they have an ability to provide some context for the circumstances that have arisen. And if given the context, there was a severe concern on the part of there everyone was. involved. That's why they came forward. Then you forward. would hear those concerns from Morrison, you, that's from why Volcker. They were testifying. But, but again, there were, look, you... Yeah, but but all of the people coming forward, I think you could kind of break down into three categories. It was either hearsay, conjecture and speculation, or a legitimate policy disagreement. You had people like uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, who I think sincerely believed that there was no basis. 
How many homicide cases are made on circumstantial know, evidence? The overwhelming well, look, I mean, this isn't a homicide majority. case. This is That's overdoing the point. a presidential That's election. That's the point. Yeah, but in you a don't real get to, court look, of law, Turley you was get right. it done you by this all the time. the landing on quid pro quo, and they didn't do it. That's not, we how is that even close to true? Democrats don't have the relevant you witnesses to be able to come forward. You had your own ambassador who was a wealthy donor friend. Mr. Sondland said there was a quid pro quo. Everybody knew it. I was in the loop on it, and I delivered it. And he's the guy who paid his way into but the as, position. As Mike the Johnson, president's pal who made up a phone call about him, maybe. Yeah, but you, I think you lost this argument last night with Mike Johnson because he pointed out that if you want the Sondland, you've got to take the full Sondland. Yeah, what is the full Sondland? This is the only person. The full Sondland is that when he spoke to the president, the only direct evidence about what the president said, no quid pro quo, on, on what I phone want call? nothing. I just want Zelensky to do the, do the right thing. A phone call with Sondland and the president. When? September 9th. No That's what, record of the call. And the only other call that people knew oh, about. Oh, come between, on. That was also. So wait a second. Is Sondland a credible witness anymore. or not a credible witness? Because, because if Sondland is I not a credible witness, I think he's got pockets of credibility you invoking him to set he up the forgot. quid pro quo. He oh, forgot so he's that he's the one who offered when he says something that you like, but he's not no, credible. No, no, when he no. Here's, here's another reason I, you I can take, take it. Hold on, Matt. This Let is me just a good get point. this in and I'll, I'll yield get, back to you. Get it in. Go ahead. But, but hold on. There's a critical point here, and that is that there's a contemporaneous account. You have Sondland also telling other people he spoke not with from the September 9th about call. the specific call. Thank you very much for making that point. No, with the no I'll take the ball back. Yes, but not on September 9th. And he did not explain it that way to the other people. And Taylor the, and Volcker, hold on, I gave you your shot. He did, that's the testimony. Taylor and yeah. Volcker said that they thought the call was crazy. And they thought came, what came out of it was unusual and dangerous. This September 9th call, of which there's no record of, and the State Department, you would think, seeing how it is to what you said, which is 100% right, it is the only piece of testimony that gives the president any clearance on this. That one call, and they won't even produce any knowledge, you know, any sufficient evidence that it ever happened. Now, if instead of September 9th, it was the September 7th call that he did tell the two men about, he didn't say any of the things that the president says he said. He never told Mr. Sondland that it was no quid pro quo. The same phrase, by the way, that who said? The whistleblower, which hadn't become public yet, but had been taken to the White House. How odd that the president used the same phrase as the whistleblower. But we don't know that he ever said those things, Matt. We know that Sondland says he did in a phone call that has never been proven to exist. Aren't you a little curious? So to believe that version of events is to believe that Ambassador Sondland perjured himself before the Congress multiple times. Or he misremembered. No evidence that he did. Or he and misremembered so and he embellished to help lawyer, his buddy. You understand this. But there's no evidence of the only record evidence. The only record evidence is the Sondland testimony saying no quid pro quo. The president mm-hmm. wants nothing. So, so with that being the only evidence. But he didn't relay it that way to the two other men point. in their testimony. You, you ra- and there's no proof you that raise the phone a fair call point ever about, happened. Well, if the State Department has... If the, you make a, a relevant point that is, well, if the State Department has these records, why is the administration not complying with congressional subpoenas and provide records? And I think the reason is that if you waive some of those privileges in some circumstances, you would limit your ability to protect the executive in the decision-making process, not just for this president, but for future presidents. Don't we want presidents to be able to meet with advisors, think outside the box, come up with some crazy ideas, reject those ideas, yes. and hone their there intellect should around be what could help executive, our country? That's the reason the president There should be executive immunity. There should be executive privilege. I would argue, we'll leave it on this. I don't think that's why he's doing it. They went to court to argue absolute immunity. They got kicked out of court on it. It's always going to be 
be done on a case-by-case basis, even question-by-question question with a judge sometimes. But this was done because he doesn't want That's the okay. exposure. If this were me or you, Matt, and we knew that we had guys at the top of the food chain that could clear us and prove that we did nothing wrong, we'd do it. But let's leave it there tonight. Congressman, you are always welcome be wherever I am, at 9, at 11, whenever. Thanks, Sean. Or th- thanks, Riz. I appreciate it. Did you just it. call me, Sean? Did you just call me, Sean? You know Sean? what? That's high praise. High praise. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he's got a few more million viewers, but I know he's a good friend of mine. <laughs> he's got a few more million everything. Probably even hairs on his head. Say hello to him and you take care. There's some numbers that are now in doubt in that House impeachment report. I've never been called Sean Hannity before. I'll take it. Maybe I'll get home a little bit safer. Did Intel investigators get phone records right? You got to keep the facts straight, not just when they're convenient. We got a Democrat on that committee here next. All right, we have new information tonight, and it is casting doubt on whether or not Rudy Giuliani contacted the White House Budget Office. Well, why? We saw the logs. It says OMB. Hold on. A source tells us the number listed in the Democrats' impeachment report associated with OMB, that was the chart we all saw, but that number could go to multiple officials within the White House complex. So why the discrepancy? House Intel Committee Democrat Mike Quigley joins us now. Thank you, Congressman. Good to have you on. Appreciate it. Uh, Significance of this discrepancy. I think that what we said at the beginning is don't read too much into all of this. What I think what we learned from these uh, call records is that it was a whole of the administration effort uh, what did Ambassador Sondland say? Everyone was in on the loop. They were all engaged in this. Clearly, this was the administration and the White House working in its entirety mm. to move this scheme forward. I don't know that I can say exactly who each number is attached to that isn't identified. Right. And I think it's I think I told people don't jump to the conclusions until we learn more. Well, the to chairman be fair, said just the other day. Go ahead. Uh, the invest. Yeah, the chairman said just the other day, while judiciary moves forward, our investigation continues. Uh, We're going to continue to learn more. So there were some Democrats who were jumping up and down that this was an important linkage that's going to have to be recalibrated if it doesn't come through. The the mayor has been very clear that he doesn't know why he would have been calling OMB. He doesn't remember the phone call. He never spoke about Ukraine aid. He didn't know anything about it. Now, his tweets tonight may create another problem because he seems to be connecting Ukraine efforts to help with the Bidens to whether or not they'll get any help from the United States. I don't know why he'd want to be putting out that message right now. But here's why it mattered, Congressman. You guys need to show that the aid was held up as a matter of fact because it was used as leverage to get the announcement of the investigations. Do you think you can do that right now? Sure. People ask me who are our best witnesses so far. The president of the United States. And uh, second after that, Mick Mulvaney. Uh, you read into this, nothing these witnesses did did anything but corroborate what the president said back to, as you mentioned earlier, the whistleblower's complaint. The call record of the White House, Mick Mulvaney, and the uh, consistent testimony of the cream of our diplomatic corps all leads to the same conclusion. The president, we know that they withheld this aid. It wasn't released until after there was public congressional pressure that it became public. Uh, clearly, Ukrainians were aware of this. Right. So, look, we can get lost in the weeds here and lose the nuance of the most obvious fact. They talk so much, and you and I have talked about Latin phrases, a quid pro quo. 
I think the other one you and I referenced, Ray Ziptoloquitur, uh, it speaks for itself. Mm. In this case, uh, the law that the president violated, the harm he did, speaks for itself. I just caution against reading too much into people thinking they know what this right, number you know, might mean. The, the more proof, the less you have to listen to the prattle. Let me ask you something. When it comes to articles of impeachment, uh, you guys have the, the task of tailoring now. And there's some concern that if you go back to Mueller, although I guess you could dovetail an obstruction, uh, an article of impeachment that's obstruction then and now, but you may lose votes. Are you worried that if you reach back to Mueller, as we're hearing from some moderate Democrats, you may lose votes? See, I don't know how listing more crimes loses votes. Under the Nixon's article of article impeachments, article number three, it lists four instances in which he obstructed. This right. president has obstructed four times in one day by withholding. But have you heard from any Democrats? Keep it to Ukraine. Don't go beyond that, Mike, or you're going to lose me. I haven't heard per, per, people tell me that personally. I think it's pretty easy to add into an article that includes obstruction. The one that uh, the special counsel Mueller referenced, he rarely talked to the press. But he came back and said in a press uh, conference that uh, he did not exonerate the president. He said he is leaving specifically the articles involving obstruction to the Congress to react. I read into that, that if it wasn't for the fact that he wasn't allowed to indict the president, he thought that those obstruction instances were something in which a president could be indicted or any other individual could. So I don't think it hurts the case to dovetail into an article 10 or 11 other instances in which the president of the United States violated the law and obstructed justice. As long as it's not something that loses you votes, because I was talking to Pramila Jayapal today, uh, obviously Democrat out of Washington state, and she was saying, no, we got to be with one voice. Uh, we can't have less than all of them. Now, obviously, that's the tactic of the Republicans, right, uh, which is to speak all with one voice and have una unanimity. In 1998 with Clinton, you had 31 Democrats go against the president and whether or not to proceed, and five voted against him on the actual articles uh, of impeachment. But, Mike Quigley, I appreciate you uh, reading us into this process. Going to be a very important couple of weeks. You're always welcome here to give us the state of play. Congressman, thank you. And we'll get our names straight. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> What names? All right. Why would the linchpin of this whole Ukraine shakedown go to Ukraine right now? Obviously, I'm talking about Rudy Giuliani. Of all places to be, what's the play? Let's look through it through the investigative lens. FBI vet Andrew McCabe. Can he make sense of it? Don't shake your head with an answer yet. Next. All right, so open up the file of You Can't Make This Up and tuck this bad boy in there. Rudy Giuliani is back in Ukraine, meeting with a fringe Ukrainian lawmaker who's not only part of a pro-Russian party, the man is known to have publicly pushed for investigations into the Biden family himself. No surprise at their meeting. Pressed on the trip, Mr. Giuliani remains coy-ish. What's the Ukraine trip all about? Well, I can't really describe it. Uh, I can't even confirm it. All I can tell you is that I am doing uh, today, all day, and all night maybe, what I've been doing for a year and a half. I'm representing my client. Andrew McCabe is here. You know how I feel about the issue of what client are you paying are you working pro bono? Did you report it? Did you record it? Because I think that it's going to matter in terms of privilege and in terms of understanding his role in this and what he was really doing. However, 
If you could put Rudy Giuliani in a worse place and saying worse things right now uh, vis-a-vis his client's interests, could you come up with a worse combination? You, you could not. If you are at all engaged in trying to help this president navigate what is, a, you know, an existential crisis to his presidency, getting through this impeachment um, process, the one place on earth that you don't want Rudy Giuliani is in Ukraine taking documents from a known corrupt Ukrainian politician, likely about Joe Biden, and then having those pictures posted on the internet. It's unbelievable. And tweeting, Ukraine better get its act together and help with these Biden efforts or it's not gonna get a United States, United States assistance in its anti-corruption efforts. He's speaking for the United States as the president's lawyer, but maybe not because he also said he's working for the State Department or maybe not because he also said he's just working as a corruption buster. Nevertheless, let's say he's wildly successful and comes back on this show and says, this is proof that Biden did it. This is proof that Biden did it. And this is proof that Biden did it. And it all lines up. How does it change the case against the president? It still wasn't the right way to adduce those claims from Ukraine. And nobody knows that better than a former prosecutor, a former United States attorney in the Southern District of New York. He knows that if he is in possession of evidence of corruption, of misdeeds, of lawbreaking on the part of a U.S. citizen, much less a former vice president of the United States, the proper place for that evidence is, I'm sorry to say, not your show, but actually the Department of Justice. We have laws that prohibit American citizens from going overseas and engaging in corrupt practices with foreign officials. If, in fact, that ever happened, and to this date we don't have any indications that it did, that information should be given to the Department of Justice to be handled through our criminal justice system. So when you're looking through the lens of what this means, um, and Rudy comes up on the call sheet with OMB, now they're saying that may have been a bounced number, could have gone to different places. He may never have called OMB. How strong a case do the Democrats have that we can prove that Trump held the money up, maybe through a proxy, maybe Mulvaney, but it's got to be one step away to be politically convincing because this is not a court of law. It's fundamentally a court of public opinion that they can prove he held up the aid for the announcement. So you don't have perfect direct evidence of that. There's no note signed by Donald Trump saying, please hold up the aid to Ukraine. Uh, I don't think the Rudy Giuliani phone call gets you closer to that, even if we could prove that the number is, in fact, some person at OMB or maybe Mick Mulvaney or somebody else who's connected to OMB. Um, But what we do have is numerous, numerous Uh, witnesses who will testify credibly and consistently that their understanding from the comments of other people was that the order to hold up the military aid came directly from the president through Mick Mulvaney to OMB. You have um, you have Ambassador Taylor, who heard that related from an OMB official on the teleconference, I think on the 18th of July, maybe. Mm-hmm. So there's, in addition to Taylor, there are several witnesses that corroborate not only that uh, teleconference, but other interactions with folks who say, yeah, this was coming direct from on high at the White House. Mm-hmm. Andrew McCabe, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Times are tense. No question about that. But it is rare to see Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden uh, do what they did today. Do you hear their quotes? You see them in context? You see what Nancy Pelosi is doing right now? You don't want to be on the other end of that finger. I know what that's like. We'll take you through what happened and let's talk about why. Next. 
Did you see Jolton Joe Biden going at it with a voter about his son? Listen. But you, on the other hand, fed your son over there. Get a job and work for a gas company that he had no experience in gas or nothing. In order to get access to the public, to the president. So you're, you're selling access to the president just like he does. So you got a damn liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that. No one has heard that. I see it on the TV. You see it on the TV. No, I know you do. And by the way, that's why I'm not sedentary. I don't like it up and... No, let him go. Let him go. Look, the reason I'm running is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people know. And I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on it, let's do push-ups together here, man. Let's do, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. Let's take a nice Number two. Number two. No one has said my son has done anything wrong, and I did not on any occasion. And no one has ever said it. Not I didn't one. say you were doing anything wrong. I you said, said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Isn't that what you said? I, Get your work straight, Jack. That's what I read. Here on the on MSNBC. All you don't hear that in MSNBC. You did not hear that at all. What you heard? Look. Okay, I'm not going to get an argument, you man. Well, I don't want to. Well, yeah, you do. But but look, look. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. It, it looks, it looks like you, you don't have to go back home to the truck. Hey, guy, talk. Let him talk. Any other questions? Yeah, all right. I'm not voting for you. Well, I knew you weren't, man. You think I thought you stand up and vote for me? You're too old to vote for me. <laughs> all right. Now, on Capitol Hill, this was Speaker Pelosi's response to a reporter who asked her if she hated President Trump. You hate the president, Madam Speaker? Mm-hmm. Representative I, I don't Collins. hate anybody. Representative I Collins, we don't, don't hate anybody, not anybody in the world. So don't, don't accuse me. I did not accuse you. I asked a question. Representative Collins yesterday suggested that the Democrats are doing this simply because they don't like the guy. I think it's an important I point. I think the president is a coward when it comes to helping uh, our, our kids who are afraid of gun violence. I think he is cruel when he doesn't deal with the, the helping our dreamers, that, of which we're very proud. I think he's in denial about the, constitu- about the uh, climate crisis. However, that's about the election. This is about the election. Take it up in the election. This is about the Constitution of the United States and the facts that lead to the president's violation of his oath of office. And as a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is full, a heart full of love and always prayed for the president. And I still pray for the president. I pray for the president all the time. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. Comedian Tony Baker would call these the skippity paps that Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi were giving these people. How do we read? Is this a new tactic? Is this just a reflection of heated times? Let's take it to the professor, one of the great minds who wrote the book on polarization in America. Literally, we have Dr. Brownstein is going to come with us and help us understand. Ron, thanks for being with us tonight. 
Trump uses anger to make people angry. That's why I've argued some of his hateful rhetoric proves him to be a demagogue. So what's up with former VP Biden and the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, fighting fire with fire or just starting to tire of the BS? I'm joined by the ever equanimous Ron Brownstein. Professor, what's your take? Fire, tire. Um, I think it was, I, look, I don't think this is like a, a strategic move by either of them. I don't think, I think we're going to see angry Nancy Pelosi in the next few weeks as impeachment moves to its inevitable uh, conclusion uh, in the House. And I don't think we're going to see angry Joe Biden on a daily basis. But I do think that each of their reactions was kind of on brand for them. As you pointed out, there is a difference between indignation and anger. And indignation, the indignation that Pelosi showed, I think it was very on brand for her. I mean, she is kind of steel, she, especially in this perspective. This mm. go round as the as the speaker, steely is the one word that comes to mind for her. And I think for Biden, you know, his, his basic claim is that he is a straight shooter. You know, uh, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. Um, and I, I think this was an episode of that today for him. Uh, so I don't think I don't think it was off brand really for either of them. But I don't think it's going to be like a routine occurrence going forward. All right. But let's. Let's move past brand into just what plays and how in terms of how it helps you win or not. Uh, we both know what the, you know what the stink is on Biden. Oh, does he have the strength, the toughness yeah. to go against Trump when they're going toe to toe? Pelosi's not in that mix, but Biden is. Right. What is right. the right path there? Well, I, I, I think I, I think on balance, more often than not for him, it is kind of a return to normalcy, mm-hmm. uh, a president that is less volatile, less confrontational. And that and that is essentially what I think he is selling. But Democrats, I think, very much want someone who is strong enough to stand up to Donald Trump, who, after all, Chris, let's keep in mind that while we're talking about this yesterday, sitting across or two days ago, sitting across from a world leader, he described Adam Schiff as a deranged, deranged mm. maniac, very sick individual. He's accused Pelosi and Schiff of treason and being traitors. So, you know, th- there's a you know, pretty high bar here for kind of, uh, you know, outrageous language and behavior. But I think I think on balance, Biden, more often than not, is going to be a calming presence. But I think people want him to be able to stand up for himself uh, mm-hmm. when when he feels that he is being uh, unfairly accused. And and certainly if Donald, you know, if he is the nominee, he's going to have plenty of uh, opportunity to do that against Donald Trump. And- I didn't have a long time to think about it, but, you know, Don brought up this segment in the last hour. Obviously, we're a little bit out of it tonight. Don's on at his normal time. I'm usually on at 9 or on at 11. And I was thinking about it. You were talking with Mitch Landrieu, you know, and I really believe that maybe the best path for a Biden, I want your take on this, is the Mike Wallace path. Mike Wallace, may rest in peace, wasn't somebody who got into shouting matches with his opponent. But what he was brilliant at doing with subjects was saying, wait, what did you just say? What did you did you just call them a brown menace? I think that that may be the betwixt route for Biden, that when the president says his vulgar and profane things, you don't match it. You don't try to one up it. You expose it for what it is, because we both know what the president's going to do. He's going to be like, yeah, that's right. Right. That's what I said. And Biden or anybody would be able to say, yeah, and that's the problem. You actually mean it. I wonder if that's their best path, because you're not going to one up them. You're not going to beat a demagogue unless you're a demagogue. 
And he's not going to. I mean, I, I, I like I said, I, I, you know, this is not this is not some strategic move that we're now going to see angry Joe Biden every day. But I think you're right. I mean, look at the look at the campaign uh, ad video they put out yesterday on world leaders mocking Trump, which is one of the most, uh, you know, kind of well-received things they have done in this campaign. And many Democrats have said it struck exactly the tone that you want to strike in dealing uh, with, with Trump, kind of like come almost uh, a bemusement at, uh, you know, at the way he has transformed the presidency, uh, not always the most strident and angry. There's plenty to be angry about. I mean, look at the, the, the tape that ProPublica released today mm-hmm. on a 16-year-old on a left alone to die in a cell in Border Patrol, you know, custody a, a day after we have this whole big debate about whether it was inappropriate for a law professor to, me- to mention the name of the president's uh, son. So, I mean, th- there's, there's going to be no shortage of outrage on the Democratic side. I don't think Biden feels like he has to stoke that on a regular basis. Hmm. This the remaining question is, though, how do the Democrats counter the anger and ani- right? You talk about righteous indignation. It is by definition righteous indignation that people who follow this president, some are extreme thinkers, some are fringe political types, but there is righteous indignation. How do you match that? How do you harness it? How do you create a home for it in your party? We'll see if they can figure it out. Ron Brownstein, thank you very much as always. Thanks, Chris. All right, a little different tonight, but I thank you for watching very much. Cuomo Primetime at its special hour. The news continues on CNN right now. <laughs> 